pizza time here at Real Original. We're going to be discussing Spider-Man 3 today. Very excited about it. My name's Dave. I'm Taylor. And I'm Noah. And I'm pretty sure this is the first superhero movie that we've done on Real Original, which doesn't really seem possible in today's climate, but uh, it, it certainly is. And it was really interesting revisiting this movie since Disney's Marvel has taken over the planet and just become the, the de facto go-to default movie. Yeah, this was I, one of the reasons that I had, had recommended it is because I hadn't seen it, uh, I think, since high school um, in theaters. Uh, and Spider-Man is one of my you know all-time favorite superheroes. And I love a lot of all the Spider-Man movies, but I hadn't seen this one partially because it was so kind of cringy in a lot of ways. Um, so I was kind of excited to revisit for that. And Taylor had not seen it uh, or any Spider-Man movie uh, <laughs> besides in uh, the Spider-Verse one. Oh, the cartoon one. Oh my gosh, I loved that one. Yeah, quick disclaimer about my su- um, superhero background. I don't watch these movies. I don't know the difference between the two universes, although I saw some weird parallels between Tobey Maguire's dancing with the Joker. <laughs> but I've seen this and I've seen Black Panther and I seen Wonder Woman, and that about wraps it up. Good movies to see, though. But but wait, you haven't seen Spider-Man 1 or 2? Should I tell the truth? No, I tried to do a crash course really quickly before. So we started Spider-Man 1, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 1. Um, we got until maybe like 20 minutes in, and then I kind of like skimmed through the movie to fill her in. But we didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't really talk any about Spider-Man 2. Which is, in my opinion, the best of the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. But um, you, but you picked this one. <laughs> but I picked this one because it's going to be so much more fun to talk about. Yeah, I do think there's more to pick apart in this one, so it will make for a better episode. And and what's weird is I've actually had the same experience as almost everything you've said, Noah. <laughs> uh, I think the second one's the best, and I also haven't seen this movie since high school. I saw it in its initial theatrical run, hated it. I've been making fun of it for years and revisiting it has been a real pleasure. Yeah, it, it, it has been nice. I also remembered watching it that it's probably the one that I got the most excited about seeing it had, and I revisited the trailer too. It has a really incredible trailer that I remember in high school watching and just getting so excited to see because I love the first two movies. And I, I think that also led to, you know, more to my disappointment because I thought the trailer was so spectacular and I thought it was going to be, you know, the best of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, but it, it was very different than the first two. So you remember watching the trailer in high school? Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. It has the, it's the, the moment in the trailer that I remember is him putting on the black Spidey suit, which I still think, I mean, watching it now, rewatching it, it's, I think it's a really, really cool, definitely Spider-Man suit, but also just kind of some of the action choreography and stuff, in my opinion, still kind of holds up. I think there is still, it, I realized in this movie, for how bad it is, um, there are still some things that I I really appreciate, and I think I are missing in the Marvel movies. But I don't. I feel like we can get into that later. I don't know what what we should talk yeah. about. Yeah, David, I don't. I don't want to derail anything for your plans, but a quick uh, plug about <laughs> Spider-Man suits. Noah could do an entire hour-long podcast just about how he feels about the different skins. <laughs> He has the Spider-Man video game and all he does is like change his little outfits and swing around. (laughs) (laughs) You've been outed, Noah. (laughs) I'm proud of it. (laughs) I've never played because I'm an Xbox boy and I'm pretty sure that's a PlayStation exclusive. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I recommend it to anybody who has a PS4. What's your favorite suit? 
they have this incredible 2D suit. I don't know what the actual name of it is, but it's like the cartoon two-dimensional suit, which makes all of the other, you know, like the streets of New York City look hyper-realistic, and it's really cool. Um, I recommend anybody just, like, look up YouTube footage, of like, gameplay footage of the 2D suit, because it's really, really, really interesting. And segueing into what my plans are for this recording, it's very quickly apparent to any of our listeners that y'all are recording your first podcast because you should know that I don't have a game plan here. <laughs> it's all free form, freestyle jazz, baby. Um, <laughs> but something I did want to bring up here near the start of the episode was a question for y'all. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessary to talk about the synopsis or underlying plot of this movie because it's all kind of fairly cookie cutter in terms of superhero plots. Like you can look at the poster for Spider-Man three and kind of know what the plot is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's definitely nothing other than the, you know, the random tone shifts of the dancing and stuff like that, you know, that I think is very different than other, but the, the, you know, the plot itself is pretty straightforward. Perfect. I don't have any uh, superhero movies to compare this to. So it's hard for me to say if it's cookie cutter, but it seemed pretty basic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you said you've seen Into the Spider-Verse. Do you remember the part in that movie where they actually parody Spider-Man 3? Or they, they show the dance scenes where he's walking down the street doing finger guns at gals? If that was aimed at me, I have absolutely no recollection. That's why I was watching this movie as a recap an hour yeah. before this, even though I just saw it on Sunday. <laughs> oh my God. Do you remember now? Mm-hmm. But I do, I mean, I, you know, I, that's like one of the things that I loved about the Spider-Verse movie is referencing, you know, past Spider-Man films and mm-hmm. lore and stuff. I, I think that's something that makes that movie so spectacular. Um, but again, it was fun to watch it again in the context of this movie, you know, after it being made fun of and, made into memes for so many years since oh yeah and spider pigs in yeah. spider verse <laughs> i mean that's very self-referential <laughs> one of the things that i realized watching this movie was the fact that this feels like a comic book movie whereas the new marvel trend feels like superhero movies and i think there is a clear distinction in my mind as to as to what they are This movie felt like a comic book come to the screen, whereas the Marvel movies just feel like big epic stories starring superheroes. Yeah, that's I've thought about that, too. And I have to admit, you know, I don't have while I love Spider-Man, you know, I didn't grow up reading as many comics, um, so I don't have as much of the knowledge of of the comics, really kind of any superhero comics. But I do think the, the Marvel films have kind of like taken their their formula and just really applied it to every movie in their sense. But it kind of, one thing that I liked about this one or the, the Sam Raimi, you know, Spider-Man films is that, that it does kind of feel more, more like the comics again. And I can't, you know, specifically relate to any of the, the comics, but I do, it, there is definitely a different tone in these than Marvel films. And it makes me wonder, you know, was this a transition to the Marvel films that are now, or was this kind of like the last of its kind before they started transitioning? And it makes me wonder, David, if you're familiar with these comics, is there any dance sequence in them? I have never seen a Spider-Book, Spider-Man comic in my life. <laughs> so. I feel like we can probably safely assume there's no dance sequences, though, right? 
I'm just going to safely assume that the Spider-Man comics never existed and everybody that talks about them is just in some unique click pulling the string. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never been into superhero comics, so I, I miss that one too. I did watch the Saturday morning cartoon a little bit when I was young, but mm. it, it wasn't my favorite. Spider-Man really wasn't my favorite until the Sam Raimi trilogy came along and I, I really liked it. There's so much good stuff in this movie. There's so much bad stuff. I, I say we just hop in and, and share what we liked and didn't like. Sure. Uh, this movie had such a simple, carefree tone. And like the city of New York just felt so vibrant and alive with the characters making jokes. And when I say characters, I mean like just New Yorkers on the street. Mm-hmm. Like everybody whose face appeared in this movie looked like a real human. and It just felt so alive. Uh, yeah, that the um, Spider-Man, what would you call that? parade or yeah the, the when, rally the spider-man rally yeah yeah that was so charming yeah i can't imagine how much time that took to set up from a filming perspective yeah they certainly had the budget on all of all of these movies um yeah and this one i think even even though it was i, I was looking up at it made like the most money and i think 2007 was the year it came out um and i forget what the budget was but they definitely had these huge budgets for these huge set pieces. And they spent a lot of time on this. Like, I think they were shooting this for close to three years, like two and a half years or something. Um, And some of the like CGI I was reading, like the Sandman CGI and stuff like that kind of like opened up technological advances that they hadn't dealt with before, which I kind of found interesting because nothing, I don't think the CGI stood out to me as like that great, you know, revisiting it. I thought, Sandman in particular, you know, it did, didn't look as as good as I had remembered in high school. I'm curious, Taylor, what you thought about like the CGI and I how it had looked. Totally disagree. Really? I thought, yeah, I thought the CGI was so great, especially the Sandman and the scene where, um, you know, that crane or whatever it is goes crazy and it starts dragging the the piece of equipment mm. through the skyscraper. Did you think that looked real? Uh, I think it's like bits and parts. Some of it, I think, you know, still holds up and looks good. The the main thing that I thought that I really came away from watching this movie, like loving is the the choreography and the, the cinematography of the actual like Spidey's swinging and the action. And that's the main thing that I miss in the Marvel movies where it doesn't seem like they put the same attention and care into like filming the action sequences. And even though I think there's some moments where the CGI kind of feels a little off in this I still think it's like pretty incredible. Um, yeah. The cinematography that they do to, you know, to capture some of his movements. Um, yeah. It seems like the cinematography in this movie and this trilogy in particular, it felt like it was meant to capture Spider-Man in motion. Whereas the Marvel movies feel a lot more stationary in terms of what's being filmed. Almost like Spider-Man has to come into frame or is always exiting the frame. And that's one of the things that I liked in these and also the amazing Spider-Man movies, by the way, is the camera tends to follow and you kind of feel Spider-Man going down and then pulling himself back up and and releasing and slinging out a new web. Like you're there and it's awesome. And and I agree that that's missing from the Marvel movies. Yeah. It it made me wonder why it's missing from the Marvel movies because they obviously had the, the money and power to do it. I wonder if it's because they want the Marvel films to all kind of feel cinematically the same um because that's you know in this it really like you're saying it's it almost the camera the camera movement seemed to like match the the pendulum feel of spider-man swinging 
Yeah. It kind of like goes up with him and lingers with him in the air and kind of swoops around him and it still holds up. And that, and they do, you know, Sam Raimi does that in Spider-Man one and two. And I think that's as a kid, what like initially really captured my imagination with Spider-Man was really the camera work. I don't think I, you know, realized it then, but looking back on these films, I think that's totally what, what did it for me is the pairing of the music and the action and then the camera work, which I think is totally lacking in the Marvel films. Yeah, I've always gotten the impression from the Marvel films that Spider-Man is not a, a singular hero. And I think that's probably due to the rights being up in the air with Sony. They probably want to keep him kind of on the edge, like ready to be cut at any time. Because there, at any point there could be a rights battle and, and then no more Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think every time Spider-Man's really on screen, like there's there's somebody else on screen that's kind of getting the focus. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a shame too, because to bring up like the actors, and again, I know Taylor, you haven't seen the new, well, I feel like we've seen some of them, but I would say that personally, I think Tom Holland is my favorite uh, Spider-Man or Peter Parker actor um, out of all of the Peter Parkers that I've seen compared to Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. Um, and I'm curious what, if what your thoughts are on that, David, I feel like Tobey Maguire is my favorite Peter Parker. Garfield is my favorite Spider-Man and Tom Holland is a perfect split between them. Like he's just kind of the, the mean, like he's not bad at either where I think Garfield's a bad Parker and Maguire's kind of a uninteresting Spider-Man. Tom Holland just kind of splits the middle and is, is good at both. And to add on to that, I think when Tom Holland looks a bit older, he could be a very good Spider-Man. I think what irks me the most about him is the fact that he actually looks like a high schooler. Mm. He actually looks young, and that's just kind of eh for me. That's kind of, that's interesting because that it, one I, in Spider-Man Three, that's what bothers me the most is I think Tommy Maguire looks really old, and I think it's because I thought well, like old compared to like uh, you know Spider-Man One, his being a a high school student, you know, I don't know exactly how much time has passed since he's in high school, but to me, there's like a lot of scenes where he looks, he looks kind of old to me. And I always think of Peter Parker as being this like high school student or this kind of like evergreen forever high school student. So I kind of, I think that might be one of the reasons I like Tom Holland. Yeah, that's fair. Wait, do you think Tom Holland looked too old or Tobey Maguire looks too old? Tobey Maguire looks too old. Did I say Tom Holland? I Maybe. Oh. I obviously don't have the context to understand what makes the best type of Peter Parker and no one knows how I feel about this, but I am not a Tobey Maguire fan. I think I agree with you, David. I think he's totally uninteresting. I like kind of feel badly for him, but not in a, not in a kind way. I just, I don't think he's very interesting to watch and I am not interested in what he's doing. But that's kind of what I like about his Peter Parker is that he he seems dweeby. He seems uninteresting. But the problem is that he carries that over to Spider-Man too much. In all of these movies, his quips are so lame. Yeah. Like, you don't laugh. You don't go, ooh, yeah, you got him. Good Just every time he talks when he's in the suit, I roll my eyes. and I'm like, shut up. Yeah. But isn't there a type of dweeb that is like underdog dweeb where you want him to be successful and you're rooting for him? And I don't even get that from this well that's i mean to me that's definitely spider-man one and two that i think do it really well with his with you know tommy mcguire's spider-man or peter parker is that you see him in high school getting like bullied and made fun of him and you definitely feel bad for him whereas this the whole movie he's pretty much unlikable for the larger part of the film so i think it's a little bit harder to get on board with him because he's so 
he's isolating so, himself so much and becoming this emo character um, that at times is really cringy, but also also like he plays it a, really aloof. Like there's a lot of scenes with MJ to me that he plays kind of like almost comes off as just like aloof and dumb as it, you know, as it is in regards to their relationship. And I think that isn't as fun to watch. Um, but again, I would just say that's specific to this movie where for me, I would say Tobey Maguire and Peter Parker is some the reason that I don't like Spider-Man 3 nearly as much as 1 and 2. Yeah, going back to him being aloof as Spider-Man, and we talked about the rally earlier, the scene where he's upside down and he asks Gwen to kiss him? Yeah. Go ahead, lay one on me. Really? Yeah, they'll love it. It seems so out of place, and in my mind... The way I remembered the movie is that she asked him for a kiss. And that moment rewatching this where he was the one that brought it up, I was like, really? It's gross. What an idiot. Like, you have to know that that's special to your future fiance or your girlfriend, you know, whatever. It, it kind of broke the suspension of disbelief for me that they were just trying to create drama and it didn't feel like a real story. Yeah, it, I think it's completely out of character for his other moments. And I think there's other conversations he has with her where, like, they keep on bringing back, you know, MJ talking about her Broadway show and this or that. And he keeps on kind of like talking about himself and the way that it's written. And I don't know if it's, you know, the way Toby Maguire performs it or if it's the way that it's written, but it feels so different, you know, such a, a way apart from the, the Peter Parker portrayed in Spider-Man one and two that I do think it's one of the main reasons that I just don't, uh, you know, buy it as much. Yeah. And the other thing about that Spider-Man kiss is it'd be one thing if Gwen Stacy was like, a witch and you wanted to hate her and she asked him for the kiss and he gave it to her but she's just like another nice girl that he screws over so it makes him look really nasty can we comment on the fact that bryce dallas howard is a redhead who dyed her hair blonde for this movie and kirsten dunce is a blonde that dyed her hair red for this movie david it's the same as prom every girl with straight hair curls it every girl with curly hair straightens it i know nothing about women taylor so <laughs> keep these facts coming it helps me out well you have blueberry so yeah, she's my girl. <laughs> Earlier on, we had talked about the Sandman scene that's kind of a famous benchmark in, in CGI. Mm -hmm. Fun fact for y'all about that scene. It took six months for their server farm to render that scene. This is the scene where he's becoming Sandman, the very first yeah. yeah. That is a pretty incredible scene. I also love the music in that scene is particularly really beautiful um, and I think fits the whole sequence really well. Yeah, and it does something that a lot of superhero movies and movies in general don't get is that it's okay to not have dialogue on the screen. You can show emotion through other means. That scene of just this, this CGI sand coming together into a human shape mixed with the music is so emotionally touching. Like you understand what he's feeling. You understand what he's going through. And while we all might interpret that differently, I'm pretty sure everybody that watches that scene is feeling something and, and they're going to remember it. Yeah. That's, I definitely think that's kind of a standout moment in this film for me. And I think it also kind of bums me out because I think that Thomas Hayden Church, I think that's his name. The actor who plays Sam Man is such an incredible actor in a lot of the other films he's in. And I think he was kind of wasted in this film. The character of Sandman, you know, to me was kind of wasted as well as, and I think that's to me in, in rewatching is just that there's so, by balancing Harry's, uh, Harry as a villain and, and Venom as a villain and Sandman, it's just, you, none of them really fulfill, 
feel fully fleshed out to me. And I think it's, it's such a shame because they are such great villains, you know, like it's a bummer that this was the first time we see Venom on screen and it doesn't, didn't really land um, in the way that I would have hoped, you know? I feel like um, Harry's character is pretty fleshed out. Yeah, I did. I I like James Franco a lot um, more than I remembered. I think that's one of the strong parts of the film for me. Yeah, the weird thing is that you could go like a full 25 minutes. I mean, it's a the movie's two hours and 20 minutes. It's super long, but you can go a full 25 minutes without seeing one of those villains. And then like randomly the Sandman comes back and you're like, oh, yeah, he's here, too. Yeah, and I think we've landed on some of the best and worst parts of this movie is my biggest complaint about this movie is that it's too crowded in terms of villains, which uh, y'all brought up perfectly. It, it makes total sense. There's too many of them. You forget about them. And then the Sandman was underused. I also love Thomas Hayden Church. That's, you know what I was thinking, though? I was actually like just thinking this because when I rewatched it, I totally think that's one of the biggest problems with it is that there's all these villains and it's really crowded. But then I thought of what I think of as, you know, one of like probably the best Spider-Man film, which is uh, the Spider-Verse one. And like that is an extremely crowded film. If you think about it, there's so many characters and so many villains, but also they feel like a lot of those characters have like fully realized arcs and it's paced in this like really beautiful way. So it kind of made me rethink, rethink about Spider-Man 3 is like maybe maybe they could have could have balanced all these characters. I just don't really know how, but I do think that Spider-Verse does it really well. And there's so much going on in Spider-Verse. I think what Spider-Verse does better is it has Kingpin leading the charge and leading the other villains. They're all kind of serving him and his needs. Whereas this movie tried to kind of split it up evenly. Like you're the villain now, you're the villain now, you get screen time. And they didn't really have a clear and focused goal. Like Green Goblin was going for revenge. Uh, Venom was just being weird and the sandman was like trying to rob banks like he didn't even care about spider-man he just needed money for his daughter like i think the worst scene is that the one like right before the the final uh fight scene where venom and sandman like meet up in an alley and they have this like really cringy dialogue about like why they both have to work together and it just totally doesn't make any sense and every time i or this time when I watched it, I was just like, that is the moment where it's like, you totally realize that they had no plan for these villains or not a well thought out plan for how they would team together or why they're on the same, same page or same team. Yeah. It felt like they were writing the movie while you were watching it instead of figuring it out beforehand. Yeah. And I think one of the things that caused this is at one point they were talking about splitting this up into two different movies which you can kind of see when you see all the villains and you see how crowded it was and and the fact that this is over a two-hour movie and it still feels like there's pieces missing. Uh, This movie may have done better split into two different units. And I'm just going to throw this out there. I would have loved to have seen sequels to this. I would have loved to have seen where Sam Raimi took this series in the future, but unfortunately it didn't happen. I think, am I right that he had intended to? Like they were, he had kind of planned on a Spider-Man 4, but... I wonder if it's because of the reception, even though this movie, this film made a bunch of money. I wonder if why exactly they stopped having him direct them or I can't really remember when, at what point did they reboot the Andrew Garfield and why that was. Um, But I agree with you. I kind of was looking forward to another one as well. I think Sony balked at the critical reception and they tried to hire rewriters to rewrite screenplays and scripts. And that cycle just kind of stalled it out to the point where Sam Raimi was like, I'm done. I'm out. Bye. 
And then I know the Amazing Spider-Man came up because there's some sort of agreement that Sony has with Marvel. It's kind of like the Fantastic Four agreement that Fox had, where they had to make a movie every X amount of years or else they would lose mm-hmm. the rights to the franchise. So for some reason, they, they just had to make another franchise since Sam Raimi was out and they put together the Amazing Spider-Man for that. Okay, so we've spent some time dumping on the villains and dumping on the way the story came together. I want to talk about my favorite part of the movie, the highlight, the part where I was smiling and laughing my butt off, and that would be when Bruce Campbell stole the show as the French maitre d'. <laughs> <laughs> is, am I wrong that, I probably should know this, but is, is that the same actor that's in Spider-Man 2, like in the lobby of the show? Yeah, he, he has a cameo in all okay. of the Spider-Mans, I believe. Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, because he was in Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy, and that's why they, they kind of do that. In fact, a lot of Sam Raimi's like family and, and repertoire cameo in his movies. But yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Bruce Campbell fan, and seeing him in a thin mustache <laughs> saying, how romantic, I am French, you know, or whatever it is that he said, like, it was so much fun. Demanding that Tobey Maguire speak French. <laughs> yeah. Well, I particularly love the end of that scene where where Peter or Toby Maguire keeps like lifting up his hand and then, you know, he keeps coming over with the ring, but keeps chewing away. I think the way that was edited, was really funny. Oh yeah. I didn't think it, I thought it was really cheesy. Right. I mean, there's a lot of cheesy moments, you know, in all of these Spider-Man films, but I think some of them are more forgivable than others. Noah and I have a romantic eye, Taylor. So (laughs) We have a better eye for these things. It was very funny, very romantic. Mine's purely critical. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't have the uh, same childhood nostalgia. That's fair. That makes sense. I will, along the lines of comedy, I do think I would also add that J.K. Simmons as Jameson is every time he's on screen, I found myself laughing and excited to kind of see him because I think he just is like the perfect actor for that role. Oh, yeah, and I think that's why... I think they're bringing him back for the Marvel franchise. Oh, like in the Tom Holland ones? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure he cameoed in the end of Far From Home. Oh. I could be misremembering. I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, so hopefully that happens. And also, in terms of J.K. Simmons, you might remember the movie that him and Tobey Maguire starred in called Labor Day. I, d- I did not know that movie. What? You don't remember Labor Day? I don't. But they're both in it? <laughs> yes. What is Labor What's it about? It's about Labor Day, Noah. And, <laughs> and that's really all you need to know. No, Labor Day is its a recording that we've done. And it is just such a dull dud of a movie. Um, it's about an escaped convict that he's trying to hop a train and he finds a family to bunk with. But it's Labor Day weekend, so they have to spend a lot of time together. And they learn about each other. And do they fall in love? <laughs> Spoiler alert. So, I, I didn't spoil anything. I asked a question. Oh, do they fall in love? I hope yeah. Well, Labor Day's Monday. Anyway, so. don't watch it. <laughs> Ignore it. Forget about it. Oh, I was just going to say we should watch it on Monday on our day off. <laughs> yeah. All right. Another thing that was great about Spider-Man 3. Harry. After Harry gets hit in the head and gets amnesia or whatever he's so much fun every scene that he's in he's just so dopey and he's hamming it up and just having the time of his life like his demeanor is just like 13 year old boy on christmas opening his biggest present and it's non-stop and i love it it seems kind of a bizarre 
demeanor for someone to have who's just gone through severe head trauma. Like, he's not concerned about what he's forgotten. He's not stressed about it. He doesn't have family to remind him who he is. He is just going to try to be this happy, smiling guy. And it's so funny. It's so cute. He is. I did. I mean, I definitely have a James Franco. I think I've always felt like I don't know whether I love him or hate him. And I think that's why he's really great in this role. But he's like so charismatic. And there's something about his his acting with his eyes uh, in particular that I think is that really works role well for this his role in this film. If, if you guys have a few minutes, something that I realized when I was just writing through this and watching different scenes for a second time is in the, the kitchen scene when he's dan- dancing with MJ, you're compelled to watch MJ because she's the female, so your eyes like drawn to watch her dance. But if you actually watch Harry, it is so painful. Mm. <laughs> he is totally awkward. It's really hard to watch. <laughs> Interesting. Well, definitely not as awkward as Toby Maguire dancing. I don't, at least Toby like is intentional and has moves. I don't think he's intentional and has moves. I think you don't like pretty, those finger guns? Oh, I think it's pretty awkward. But I do, I, you know, to bring it back to, to Harry, I, I think also on top of just him after he hits his head and being enjoyable to watch, I think that character, I wish they eliminated one of the other villains so they could focus more on on him as Green Goblin and kind of like even bringing it back up more of like Willem Dafoe in Spider-Man 1, I think would have been a smart move. Which one would you get rid of? That's a tough question. Can I offer a recommendation? Sure. (laughs) Well, I have thoughts on this. So let me pitch in. I think they should have just cut the bit at the front where he wanted revenge and just had them be a team from the start, cut the amnesia bit, cut Mm. the fighting. Um, and just had them be a team or, or be friends. And then later in the movie, they could have spent more time. They could have either cut the movie time down or spent more time focusing on just the other villains, which would have made it seem less crowded. Mm. I do like some of those fight scenes with between Harry and, and Spidey. I really like how the role of Venom is like this alien symbiote or whatever that kind of attaches to fear and anger and hate and jealousy or whatever these whatever it is. I, I personally think I would have removed Sandman and just focused on the kind of like love triangle. I guess it's kind of a love triangle between Harry, MJ and, and Pete. And then I think that would have made the the role of Venom a lot stronger, you know? So that's what I would have done. I think. Is there anything in the, the Sandman ties it together because he it's established that he kills Ben. Well, that's another problem in the movie because earlier on, they show the, like in the first movie or the second movie, they show the other guy, the driver in this movie, they show him shooting Uncle Ben. So they they really like had to wedge in Sandman as a villain oh. and kind of rewrite the canon and history of, of this version of Spider-Man. So that's something that bothers me a lot. Sandman or whoever his human name was, he did not kill Uncle Ben in the first and second Spider-Man movies. Yeah, and it kind of ruins that whole scene in this yeah. first one. Yeah, I think it definitely felt shoehorned. So I'm not a fan of that. And I don't think they needed it. it really, you know, I don't think that, that Sandman adds anything really. But I was reading something that that's Sam Raimi only wanted it to be Sandman and the producers were really pushing Venom. And something I didn't understand about Venom was at one point they talked about how Venom takes the characteristics of the hosts and makes them stronger and bigger. And I was like, oh, that's why he makes Spider-Man a better fighter. He makes him dark. He makes him strong and cunning. And then when the symbiote goes on to Brock, 
I'm like, wow, the symbiote's going to make him into a better photographer. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he's got all these superpowers. And I'm like, what? Yeah, to me, I always interpreted it as that whatever the, the alien is, whatever the host he's attaching to, he's just playing up their internal struggle. So that I think that it makes sense that Eddie Brock's was kind of d- dealing with a lot of like, you know, hate and jealousy or rage, even though Peter was too. But I think it makes sense to me that Eddie Brock was had a little bit more of that. But how was Eddie like making spider webs, like the one that he held Mary Jane in yeah. with, inside of the taxi? <laughs> Where did he get that power from? Yeah, no, no comment on that. I, <laughs> no, no That's what confused me was like, wait, are you Spider-Man now? Well, that does. It also makes me want. I don't really know, like the origin story, like the actual comic origin stories of of Venom or or Eddie Brock or stuff like that. But it does kind of make me curious if how this film kind of maybe strayed from it, or if it is the same as the comics. I know the comics have him as a really, really dark character. I can't speak to the full authenticity or canon, but like he get he has a kid, he loses his job, and then his wife divorces him, and then the kid dies, and he's like a depressed alcoholic, and and that's the foundation of the Eddie Brock character in the mm-hmm. comics. It's very dark. So this was kind of a lighthearted version of of the character, kind of kind of in line with uh the movie Venom, which I I haven't seen the full movie. I couldn't get through it, but it seemed like very similar to that. Yeah, I'm I actually liked I'm curious, did you guys like uh or what did you think of Topher Grace? in his role did you think he was a good actor inoffensive i didn't hate it uh there were some really cringy lines but i'm not sure if that was entirely his fault uh the cgi on the venom face was really weird in terms of how it would just unhinge its jaw and then kind of go away to his face and his jaw was normal i was like what the hell's going on under there yeah and they changed up his teeth which i was i'm confused why they do that. yeah that too yeah, you mean the really sharp ones yeah, like when his when the venom mask gets pulled away, you see his like little shirt. Yeah, he looks British. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, I thought he. I mean, I, I do. I enjoyed watching this. I think I read that he like left that '70s show for this role, um, but I I thought he did. Uh, you know, I thought he was pretty entertaining to watch. I kind of wish they did like someone that was more more hateable before he put on the venom suit. So like someone who's super suave, I don't, I'm, I'm picturing like a young Matthew McConaughey, like trying to get Gwen Stacy to fall in love with him, like pulling out these fake photos. So make him easier to hate. But this guy was kind of like, I, he still struck me as dweeby. Everyone in this film is dweeby. Mm. So I didn't hate him as much. He wasn't as easy to hate as someone who, as someone hot. <laughs> So speaking of hating things in this movie, one of the other criticisms that I had relates to 9-11. Everything comes back to 9-11. But do you remember that the first movie had some advertisements and originally had a scene where Spider-Man was hanging between the World Trade Centers? Yeah, I remember. The one I remember is where he like strings up the helicopter between the towers. And this was like... Those those advertisements aired, and then uh, September 11th happened before the movie released, so they cut all that stuff out because it would have been kind of insensitive to release a movie with the Trade Centers up. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that the Spider-Man trilogy is kind of intrinsically tied to September 11th, and 
speaking in terms of that, the crane scene that we mentioned earlier, where the crane went through the glass and people are getting knocked out of a skyscraper building and, and rubbish is falling on people below, it kind of felt like they were capitalizing on 9-11 imagery, the, the same imagery that they had to avoid in the first of this trilogy. And it felt kind of awkward to watch for me. That's, it makes me wonder, were there any moments like that in Spider-Man 2? Because obviously, it's, I think it's a tough thing to navigate through because obviously like Spidey's fighting in New York City and there's going to yeah. be these big, big kind of like moments. Um, that didn't necessarily cross my mind at all, but I do think that's a valid point. But I think, I wonder if Spider-Man 2, which was closer to 9-11, had to, had to deal with that at all. I haven't seen it in like 17 years or whatever, so I, I couldn't speak to it. I think you've touched on something. I, I didn't notice that parallel, David, obviously, because I've never seen Spider-Man 1. But it, it feels kind of like, what if Spider-Man was there? Could he save everyone? And that's kind of what I really, really hate about Wonder Woman. <laughs> and no one knows this, but is it World War One or World War II? Uh, I think it's World War One. One of the I'm World sure. Wars. <laughs> he just comes in there and like owns the war. And I know it's supposed to be this great feminism united uniter, but to me, it just feels like it's trivializing the war. Like there were all these horrible, horrible millions of deaths. And well, that's world war two. This is world war one, thousands of deaths. And then they just throw in this superhero and she saves the day. It, I don't know. It, it, it kind of, it feels insensitive to me. So if they're pulling that imagery from the Twin Towers and having Spider-Man save the day, I think that's pretty insensitive. Yeah, and then you, you raise a good point about Wonder Woman and World War One because later in the, the Justice League canon, she like sits through World War Two and she doesn't come back until the Justice League in, in modern times. So it's like, how the hell could you like be f***ing tearing up World War One and then sit through World War Two? Like what happened here? She is so disingenuous. <laughs> the cameras weren't rolling, so she... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point of, of Wonder Woman and World War One and kind of owning the war and, and how that affects and trivializes the war. I think anytime you're going to be doing a movie in the past, you kind of have to tie it to something that's in the collective uh, subconscious, I think is the word I'm looking for. Something to anchor it. Because if they would have just done like, you know the the clemenza outbreak of 1871 or whatever like it would have been like there, there's nothing to tie you to the time period and nothing to really recognize what's going on i disagree with that i can't think of an example but i'm sure there's a way to do it without making it a war where i'm sure at least one out of every three people we talk to know someone who died of war i mean i think that's i don't i, I disagree with taylor just because i think that's pe people have written stories for years like imagining characters and putting them in history um and i think that sometimes it could cross the line but a, a lot of times I, I mean like having indiana jones like fighting nazis and stuff is something that i don't know i always enjoyed and i don't think it's necessarily feels insensitive yeah it's one of those things that it's it's so far in the past that it's it's fair game for fiction i don't know less than a hundred years yeah i mean that's that's just kind of how it is like world war ii is fair game so world war one is clearly fair game you know, like I remember in what was it Watchmen that does like the Vietnam War with. Yeah, that is kind of weird. I guess like, you know, I think it would feel weird if I don't know. I, I guess maybe like the length of time is different for different people of, of how far you can go back where it feels insensitive or not. I, um, but I do remember being a little surprised at seeing like the Vietnam 
like a superhero character during the Vietnam War. Whereas like, I don't think it bothered me or anything, but I just remember being a little surprised by it. But then it, it doesn't really cross my mind at all for World War II or World War One. I. I have the same, I don't mean to stray too far from Spider-Man, but I have the same issue with Ghost Walks. <laughs> like we just- With what? Ghost Walks. You know when you go to Gettysburg and you can pay someone to take you on a tour at midnight of the town? And they'll tell these ghost stories about, you know, different people who passed who are haunting the hotels and things like that. Is this how you vacation? <laughs> no, because I think it's disrespectful. But anyway, we don't bat. Have you heard of those before? I have never heard of this. I feel like they do them in New Orleans. Do you know about it, Noah? Yeah, they, I've been to a couple of those. I think it's probably an East Coast thing just because that's where the colonies are. But I don't know. We... My people <laughs> don't bat an eye at these ghost walks. It's just normal. But I think it's just so weird to capitalize on all these people who died. Like, can you imagine 50 years when they do Twin Towers, <laughs> like 9-11 ghost walks? Well, the 9-11 imagery has been co-opted in movies in modern times. Like, if you look at um, the Superman movies directed by Zack Snyder, there's a lot of 9-11 imagery used in there. Like a, a space terrorist comes and Superman runs him through the Wayne Enterprise building and the Wayne Enterprise building comes down and collapses. So like it's just 9-11, but in Gotham City. Hmm. And I mean, Godzilla, like the Japanese did that with Godzilla after Hiroshima. So I also think it's like some that's some, yeah. sometimes how people cope with, I don't know, like nation bringing a nation together to like rally behind a hero or kind of like if, if it's in that their way paying respects or remembering or kind of you know i think i understand why it might seem disrespectful to some but also like it obviously like it's something that people do and i don't think it's necessarily capitalizing because i don't think the japanese you know for the japanese i think it was building godzilla as kind of like a warning of like this is what destruction looks like to you know kind of like trying to show other people like what happened to their city. Yeah. And to put this in more of a, of a perspective that might, you might find entertaining Taylor. Uh, one of our movies that we've talked about a lot off of the podcast, of course, is star Wars and star Wars co-ops a lot of both Nazi and fascist imagery, but it doesn't outrightly call them Nazis or fascists. It just uses that language to communicate to you that they're the bad guys. And that's kind of what, a lot of movies do to, to kind of shortcut to, to telling a story. Like there needs to be something grounding you there. It's just in this case, World War One was out front and, and on the page. Yeah, I guess, I guess the difference, you're right, David, is the way that it's coded. And when it's more overt, that's when it feels kind of skeezy to me. That's fair. But if you want to cover it up and call it something else, that's fine. Just wrap, wrap it up and put a bow on it and I'll take it. Speaking of wrapping up and putting bows on things, let's get back to the podcast on Spider-Man 3. <laughs> I hated the butler in this trilogy. <laughs> Harry's butler. It, it is so funny you bring them up. I was just thinking about that guy. I am convinced that... He was somebody's uncle. That's exactly what I, th I actually, I haven't done any research, but I have a feeling that that man is not an actor at all. <laughs> He's an imposter. Yeah. And I do, I really do think that he uh, is like somebody's family member or something. Like there's some story as to why he's in the film. 
I actually remember, I just, I just remembered this like from watching years ago, but there's a lot of like Spider-Man bloopers from the, these, the Sam Raimi ones. And I think there's like this whole sequence of uh, James Franco doing a scene with that Butler guy and like the Butler guy cannot deliver this like one line. I'll f- I, I, you only now I want to find lines. it. Yeah, but it's and you can tell that like I ca- I can't remember correctly, but I think you can tell like James Franco is like really struggling, but like trying to be nice because this one the butler cannot just get one line out. So I I truly I think there has to be a story there, but I don't know what it is. I think I know what it is. Do you think maybe it was like a Make a Wish thing? <laughs> like he had to be in the movie. He kind of has a Kermit the Frog voice. <laughs> and look <laughs> normally it's women that get concerned and, and worried around james franco <laughs> <laughs> what's his name but does anybody remember his name probably george it's like bernard or something or burn bernie i have no idea they were his scenes were so cringy i, I barely got through them it seemed like I, I wouldn't like if I knew this guy in real life, I would just perpetually keep my phone dialed to 911, just ready to go. Like he looked like he was about to fall over at any point. <laughs> he really did. Well, and you. I mean, as far as like the plot goes, Taylor brought it up, but like he is he's like the reason that Harry turns good. Harry turns good at the <laughs> end, you know? Yeah. Like he just gives the whole, the little monologue about his. About it's not his even a monologue, it's like two lines. But he just, and it's so. How long has um has it been that Harry's been mad at Toby Maguire? Harry's been mad at sure. Peter Parker. But all of a sudden he that's when he decides to like air his true. By the way, I've known this for years on end, but I'm deciding to tell you now you didn't kill your dad. By the way, I have a side gig as a coroner, and those entry wounds were definitely from your dad's flying surfboard. <laughs> yeah. It was it was pretty messy, but in a fun way. Just kind of throwing those lines out there where he was like, oh, by the way, you need to be Spider-Man's friend now. Here's why. And besides that, all he ever does is he's he's asked by Harry if he's ever had if he has any girlfriends. And he says, girlfriends? <laughs> That's probably the one line he couldn't get through. And the other thing is Harry says, hey, can you get us some food? And he says, guests? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and then he doesn't even make food. They have to make food in the next scene. I, that's what I said to know. I was confused about that because I thought he was going to get them like takeout or like get them food to eat, but he just gets them groceries. He's useless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not a good butler. He's going to have to clean up after uh, Harry slapped that omelet on the ground. When they when they drop that omelet and they start laughing about it, I thought in my head the only reason they're laughing is because they don't have to clean it up. Aw. Poor butler. <laughs> So earlier on, we mentioned, I believe in reference to the the rally scene, that this movie just had an unlimited budget and a lot of time to put this together. Uh, going back to that, there's something interesting that, that came up when I was looking and researching this movie, is that all of Kirsten Dunst's screams in this movie were recycled from Spider-Man 2. There wasn't a unique scream from her in this movie at all. Really? Wait, are you saying scream? Like S-C-R-E-M? Yeah. yeah. They reuse her screams. She does have a great scream in the other in the other ones, but that's pretty pretty fascinating trivia. And she spends a lot of time screaming in these movies. Yeah. She's always dangling from something about to die. It's the same one every time. 
Um, it's they're the same screens pulled from Spider-Man Two. They're the same recordings. Yeah. Oh, she must have done such a great job the first time. I mean, I guess it would save money. I don't know why they would have to, but I mean, she didn't have to come back in to you know. You saw that rally scene. Yeah. You know how how much that. I wonder if they used her screams for Gwen Stacy's screams when she's dangling from the crane, because that would be weird. Do you know David? I have no idea, but I can tell you that Gwen Stacy is played by one of my least favorite actors that I have seen on screen. Bryce Dallas, Texas Harper's Texas Ranger. I do not like her at all. Is she in, is she in the Jurassic movie, like the new Jurassic movies? Yes, she is. Okay. I always get her mixed up with Jessica Chastain, who I think Jessica St- Chastain is actually pretty good, but the Jurassic World movie was pretty terrible. They're so cringy. I, I, I do not like that franchise. It's just run out of steam in such an embarrassing way. So, David, who did you appreciate less in this film? Bryce, Dallas, Howard, Howard, or Butler Bernard? Oh, I think I'd have to go with Bryce Harper, Dallas, Texas, just because she's a trained actor and she probably got a lot more money than the butler. I don't think the butler was paid to be in this. I also just appreciated the butler from the perspective of being so bad it's good. Like he he really is entertaining in a in an unintended way, in a way that I, I would imagine is unintended. I mean, but also Bryce being, is she the daughter of Ron Howard? Is that her relation? Does anybody know? All, I, all I'm saying is Ron Howard is an American treasure. And I think points. <laughs> Unless he's directing a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Hey, I actually, I don't, I don't want to get too far into Star Wars at the end of this podcast. I'll never but stop. I will say that, that he did Solo, right? I think Solo is one of the better of the Disney remakes. Well, there goes your invitation to return. <laughs> Oh man, Solo was so bad. It was so catering. Like every time they they showed something of Han Solo's possession, they would zoom in on it and start playing Star Wars music. I'm like, <laughs> off. I know what this is. That's fine. I think that bothers me way less than a lot of the things they did in the in the actual trilogy. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the trilogy either. But but Solo, you'll you'll not get many compliments from me. It was a mess. I think um, that may have been miscommunicated. Noah is a fan of the new trilogy, right? No, not as well. You I mean, again, this we could this would spin off a whole another conversation. <laughs> um, in the greater scheme of things, I'm not. I think Rogue One is the by far the best of the new ones. But then I think I would put Solo after that and the trilogy behind. You know, that's how I rank them. In Rogue One and Solo, they just forgot to make the protagonist interesting. Like in Rogue One, she's just getting dragged around from place to place, and she doesn't make a single decision in the whole movie. And in Solo, like, it's his origin story. It's Han Solo's origin story. And how he got his name is from a file jockey <laughs> who just assigns it to him. How the hell is that supposed to be exciting? It bothers me. Anyway, do y'all have anything else to add to Spider-Man 3? Uh, I mean, did I, did I feel like did we as long as we fully dived into the dancing scene and picked that apart? That's the only thing I would feel bad if we didn't talk a little bit more about. I've been trying to avoid it, Noah. But that's I think it's the perfect way to end. Sure. The, all I all I want to say is the best part is when he whispers. I forget what he whispers. Can you? What is he? Whispering? Oh yeah, like can you dig it? Or something? and then he starts thrusting his his pelvis in a slow way, and I think that is a magnificent moment. 
My favorite moment is when he he flicks open his jacket and kind of puffs out his chest, and Gwen Stacy's hair flies back as if a gust of breeze just like <laughs> came in through the door, and it's like it's amazing. And by the way, I unironically love this whole scene. I I love it. Really? It's like the highlight of the movie for me. It did make me think. Like at least they it was a bold move. You know, I don't. I personally think it didn't land, but I think specifically because of Tobey Maguire. And again, I like him and I like him in one and two. I love him in one and two, but there's something that just, when he has the emo hair and the dance moves, that's so uncool. And I know it's supposed to be uncool, but it just totally doesn't work for me. See, I have this theory that this is like, you you know how in Joker at the end, you realize it was all in his head. Like he Mm -hmm. he has serious mental health problems. Do you remember the scene right before the dance scene when He's like walking down the street and every woman stops and stares at him in appreciation of him. And then he leaves the building and every single woman is looking at him like he's a lunatic. I think actually this is all in his head. It's actually confusing because some of the women look at him like he's a lunatic. But when the when the cut, when the shot reverses, they look back at him. They kind of look at his ass as if he's a hot as, as if he's hot stuff. And it's a really confusingly framed scene because there, there's both women spurning him and women giving him a double take. Maybe they see the guy liner and they get freaked out and then they see it, the other side of him, and then they appreciate it more. I hated that scene back in 2007 when the movie came out and it, here in 2020, that was my favorite scene. <laughs> it's, it's the best scene that I saw in La La Land. I'll say that much. <laughs> Well, I think Spider-Verse also kind of gave it new light by, you know, if it wasn't for that scene, we wouldn't have the incredible scene in Spider-Verse that is one of the funnier moments. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I know we said dancing was the last thing, but one last thing to disillusion you guys guys with Spider-Man. Did you notice that? So let's say he's swinging and he sees something in the air. He can like snap his web at it and bring it to him, right? He can pull something towards him with his web if it's in the air. Yeah, if it's right? light enough. Yeah, he can do that. Yeah. But then when they're in the underground scene with the Sandman and there's the train coming through, he snaps his web at the train and then the train's moving away. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? And then he slams into the Sandman with his feet. Yeah. Yeah, because he's using... I mean, I think there's the physics there. He's using the train to propel himself forward. But how come in some... How come in, in some instances he could just use that to pull the train towards him? But in some... Have you ever walked Ellie on an extendable leash? <laughs> no, those are really dangerous. But, but I continue with your metaphor. Yeah, I don't like them either. But like those leashes, you can lock them and then they won't extend anymore. Think of it like that. He shoots his web at the train and locks it. Lock it off. Yeah, lock- so then it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull him with the train's momentum. I guess I'm just too new to Spider-Man to understand the intricacies of his web power. Yeah. Well, I will say there's a really interesting thing I read about like the physics in super. I mean, obviously I feel like in a superhero movie, they're going to be bending physics a little bit, or it's not going to be all like realistic. But one of the reasons that I think Marvel movies do so much better than the DC films is because they, they kind of follow physics a little bit more where like, if you have like, as an audience member, you know, that Thor's hammer is going to be, you know, going up against Iron Man is going to make him fly this far or something like that, which I think holds true in these early Spider-Man movies. Again, like with the camera movements and the webs, like 
as a kid, when I watched this, it felt so realistic of like, that's what it would be like to climb on walls and like swing from webs. Um, So I don't really have many issues with like the physics of, of his web slinging. That's also coming from someone who tried to be Spider-Man. You want to tell David? When I was a child, I loved Spider-Man so much that I would go out in my backyard and have spiders bite me. So I- oh my god! <laughs> it never turned me into Spider-Man, though. Yeah, but think about how many spiders you turned into superheroes when they got your blood in them. <laughs> oh. So on the subject of physics and Spider-Man and the web slinging, I'm I'm pretty sure that web slinging isn't part of his superpowers. I'm pretty sure the spider just gave him like strength, agility, and stickiness where he sticks to things. And then doesn't he devise a a gizmo that goes in his suit that shoots the webs? Like within this, I guess it's not really applicable to these movies because in these movies, I think it does come out of his skin. But in the other Spider-Man canons, there's like a button he presses on a gizmo. And we saw that in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. When Aunt May gives Miles the suit, there's like these clear clickers that go on his wrist that shoot out the web itself yeah and then i think he like runs out of it sometimes or i think in one of the movies you have to kind of like refill the the fluid or whatever he is putting in there that creates the webs but i actually like the i think i like the even though it's not canon to the the comic books i actually like the toby Maguire version better where you have the webs inside and it's coming out of the skin i think that as a kid i always thought that was cooler that is disgusting (laughs) to me did you notice that when he and MJ were laying on his web, I was expecting them to stick to it, but they just kind of rolled right off. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, her hair would be, ugh, I don't even want to think about it. He coated that web in Teflon, so it was nonstick. <laughs> that's an expensive venture. Yeah. Alrighty, that's all I have for Spider-Man 3. Uh, I appreciate you both coming out here. This was a great recording. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate you watching the recommendation and not laughing in my face. It was a good one. I was glad to revisit it. I'll pick the next one. <laughs> like there's going to be a next one. This this dude over here likes Solo. No, Taylor, we need, it, we need a new third. Have you done Solo yet? Have you talked about Solo with anybody? There, what's to talk about? It oh, sucks. That's we'll the end. Podcast it. over. We will talk about it for hours. Oh. You two and Sterling can do that. Please don't make me watch it. Please don't make me watch Solo again. You don't have to I, watch I, it. You just have to host the podcast. Just just click the buttons and set my headset down. Like, all right, let me know when you're done. Call me. Yeah. Well, in terms of real original episodes, uh, we're going to be taking a week off from publishing after this episode airs. And then the week after, on October 12th, we're going to be doing an episode on Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. I've I've never seen a Spike Lee, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I, I could have something wrong about his name, but very excited to give that a shot and talk about it. I believe I'll have Kelsey and Trevor on. Uh, Noah, Taylor, have either of you seen a Spike Lee movie? Is Spike Lee a person? Am I, am I right here? You are saying that right. No, and I think I... it's Spike. <laughs> I always get him mixed up with Spike <laughs> Jones, but Spike ah. Lee, right. And I did see The Five Bloods. And I also saw, we saw Inside Man, which is a really good heist movie. We? Yeah. Yeah, we watched Inside Man. Well, there you have it. But I will not say anything about The Five Bloods to to not spoil anything. Well, I appreciate that. Chadwick is. (gasps) Oh, Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I think he's like, yeah, he's he's one of the main dudes. I'll watch it then. Oh. 
Well, again, thanks for coming out and recording. And any listeners that tuned in, thanks for listening. And please go ahead and share us on social media if you enjoyed or hated the episode. Either way, it helps me out. Uh, Have a great day. Stay safe out there.